All right. If you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation 21 will be our text for today. Yes, uh, we're in a series in Acts, and we're taking a break from that series, actually for, it's going to be over a month, because we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. So the next three messages will be Advent and Christmas related, and then there will be a New Year's-ish message that may or may not have anything to do with New Year's, but will have to do with Jesus and trusting Him and following Him. And then, um, so there's your mandate, Jimmy. And then, uh, <laughs> and then we have, um, we'll have Vision Sunday, so we're all the way up to January 9th with that. And then January 16th will be Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and then we'll be back in Acts on January 23rd. So that's what's happening the next several weeks here, and the college students are like, great, I'm not even going to miss any. Um, or they're like, ah, school's almost over. I think that's probably more where you guys are right now, right? School's almost over. Great. It is. It's really coming. So, Revelation, we're going to talk about something else that's really coming. Revelation 21 will be our text for today, just the first few verses. And I'm tempted to read, like, these whole last two chapters. Um, and maybe, maybe we just will, but we'll see. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we thank you that you have revealed to us the end of the story. And we ask that today as we consider in this Advent season what it means to wait and what it is we're waiting for, would you help our hearts to be amazed at who you are, what you have done and will do for us. Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? Would you help us to hold on to you by faith? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you can't wait for Christmas. Anybody? I know all the kids are downstairs, but I'm seeing some big kid hands there. So you can get some two hands and even some like gray-haired big kids raising hands and going, yes, yes. Not going to mention any names on that one. Christmas, especially when you're young, is really exciting, right? And you can hardly 
wait. Like, there's so much wrapped up in that day, and there's hopefully so much wrapped up under the tree, and it's exciting. How many of you already know something you're getting for Christmas? Okay, I see those hands. No secrets in the Gannon house. Jenny knows something she's getting. (laughs) Robin's like, I don't, they don't know. Do they know? They know. Two things. Okay, so they're excited. Now, uh, so for Sam and Amelia, and maybe Jenny too, is it, is it harder or easier to wait when you know? It's harder? Easier? Okay, Sam, why is it harder? Right, right? It's like, but, but just, just now, why is it easier though, Amelia? Right, that... Yeah, right? That's done. You already know, right? And it can go both ways. And we can feel both of those things, right? It's harder because, like, I just want to be there. I want it to be now. I already know how great it's going to be, and I want it to happen. Like Sam. Right? Or you could be like, the excitement was, like, not knowing. Well, one of the really cool things about what's coming for us, among millions of really cool things, is that we know and we don't. There are things we know, and that should be enough to make us go, I want to be there. I want that day to come. And there's a whole lot we don't. And it's going to be amazing. That is what is coming for us. The, The anticipation that we feel, the... I can't wait, it's going to be great that kids feel and adults tend not to feel as much because it's just it's one more day on the calendar and man, I've got a lot to do between now and then. Come on, there's at least one or two of you feeling that way, right? (laughs) I see that hand. We're waiting, especially as, as children. We're waiting with eagerness, with joy, with anticipation. And we are called, as God's people, to have this kind of anticipation. Waiting for Christmas, but not just one day, and then everything kind of goes back to normal the next. But that day that will never end. Because as we read a little further down in the text for today, there's no night there. The gates are open by day, and oh, by the way, there's no night at all. It's a place that is completely secure, where there's nothing to fear and no reason to hide, with God and the Lamb as its light and as its glory. And that's what the end of the Bible is meant to inspire in our hearts. New Testament prophecy is not for us to say, yes, I have it all figured out, to make a big chart and have every moment and see, I I knew they were going to happen in that order. And maybe when we get to heaven, you'll get to say that. Instead, it's so we say, yes, he is coming. And everything is going to be just the way it's supposed to be. Don't you long for that? This is what Advent is all about. 
Advent means coming or arrival, so we speak of Jesus' first advent, that was his first coming, and we look forward with anticipation to his second advent, when he comes again. So this season of advent is about waiting, and the good news that is sure because of what Christ accomplished in his first coming is that this won't be an empty season of waiting. That Advent always turns into Christmas. And when it does, finally, it will forever. So in the moments we have together today, we want to think about waiting for what? Which we've kind of given away the ending, which the Bible does too, so that's okay. Waiting for what? Waiting by faith, because it's not for everyone. And waiting with patience. So what is it we are waiting for? We're waiting for what? We're waiting ultimately for Jesus. When we read Revelation in 21 and 22 and we see things like streets of gold and gates made out of pearls and the foundation stones being all this precious stones, we're like, wow, it's, it's going to be amazing. And it is. It's meant to blow our minds. It's meant to be beyond anything we can comprehend. But there are some moments where we see what is best, right? What does the loud voice say as New Jerusalem comes down? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And there's no need for sun or moon or any artificial lighting because the glory of God and the Lamb is its light. What makes heaven so amazing? What makes this new heavens and new earth so amazing? God is there and we are welcomed in to his presence and we will be with him. In Revelation 22, It says, no longer will there be anything accursed in verse 3, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That is, is really coming. We are waiting for Jesus, and we are waiting to be with him and all his people in a world made new, a new heavens and a new earth. It's not just dying and going to heaven, though that's, that's pretty great. But the Christian hope lies beyond that. When Jesus comes again and everyone is raised and we are gathered to him, in the new heavens and the new earth, forever, in an unending day. This is the Christian hope. And it's set up, actually, by the story of the whole Bible. This is what the Garden of Eden was supposed to be. A perfect place of perfect fellowship with God. Adam and Eve had that fellowship and enjoyed it for a season until they fell into sin. They were cast out of the garden, and the world was cursed. But even there, there was the beginning of the promise, 
in Genesis 3.15 that someone would come to do something about it. In his curse on the serpent, the Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Someone was coming, someone born of a woman to crush the head of the serpent. And from that point, there was hope that someone would come to fix things. Eve had that hope when Cain was born, and we know how that ended up turning out. After he killed his brother Abel, then in Genesis 5, they have another son, Seth, and hope is renewed. The end of Genesis 5, and kind of the, the list of this guy lived in this long, and he had this many sons, and then he lived this many more years, and he died Genesis 5, 28 and 29 says, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Noah means rest. He named his son Rest because there was hope that God would bring rest. And he hoped that God would bring rest through Noah. Now, ultimately, it wasn't rest that was experienced through Noah, right? By faith, he built the ark. The author of Hebrews tells us, by faith, he judged the world. Those who were disobedient to God and to his promise. It wasn't Noah who would provide rest. And it wasn't Abraham or David or anyone else. By the time we get to the prophets, it's clear that God himself will come to save his people and to reign forever as king, as Aaron read for us from Zechariah earlier today. Isaiah 65 tells us of an ideal world where everything is exactly the way that it should be. You can find that in Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. In it, the Lord is speaking, and that text begins, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. So our text for today from Revelation 21 echoes many of those same themes from Isaiah 65. And that concept is not just in Revelation. It's not just, well, here we have it at the very end. I guess it's true. This is something the Lord had spoken with his disciples about. Peter Near the end of 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3.13, he says, According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is what we're waiting for. A world where there are no more tornadoes that pop up two weeks before Christmas to claim, as of last night, at least 84 lives. We're waiting for a world where that can't happen. We're waiting for a city where there are no more shootings down the block or across the street. We're waiting for a world where no one gets sick, no one gets hurt, where no one dies, and where no one cries. We're waiting for a city where God himself lives with us, where there's no temple, sun, or moon, because God and the Lamb are the temple and the light. 
We're waiting for a city that's absolutely safe and secure where everything is just right because God himself is the center of it all where we will see his face and be his people where we will see the king in his beauty and be satisfied forever. But the day of the new heavens and the new earth will not be good news for everyone. That's what we're waiting for, but we must wait for it by faith. It's not good news for everyone. Yes, on the basis of the Bible, Christians have believed and taught now for 2,000 years that Jesus is coming back. There's no hope without a second coming. Our hope is Jesus coming back in all his glory, defeating his enemies and saving his people. It's, it's both. It's really good news for those who belong to him. But for others, it's really bad news. There's great blessing for those who are ready for his coming. But there's great tragedy for those who are not. So the promise of his coming is a comfort and a terror. And both are right here in Revelation 21. Look a few verses further down. For contrast, look at verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now this lake has already been introduced in chapter 20. It's where the devil is cast into that outer darkness where he will be tormented forever and ever. It says again, this is the second death. So part of what we do in Advent is recognize that this really good ending that's coming, we shouldn't be part of it. But by God's grace, we are. It's not automatic Not everyone will participate. But by God's grace, we have come to know him. We have come to belong to him. Jesus' coming is good news for those who are trusting him and his righteousness. So if you are here today and you're like, yeah, all this sounds pretty neat. I I like this Bible stuff. Jesus seems okay to me and you're not yet trusting in him for your life, both now and forever. You can trust him today. We're talking a lot today about Jesus' second coming and what we're waiting for, but as Aaron already shared with us, Jesus has come a first time. And in that first coming, yes, he came in humility. He came to take all our sins on him. He lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live and haven't. This list is so interesting, right? There's a few of them where like, well, that's not me. That's not me. And then there's others like, eh, I mean, kind of. It's like, well, There's that one time or those hundred times. And then at the end, it's like, and all liars. It's like, oh, man. No one would get off the hook 
if we stood by ourselves before the bar of God's judgment. We would all be declared guilty. But Jesus, who lived that perfect life that we haven't because we're most of the things on this list, He didn't just live that perfect life. He sacrificed his life for us. At just the right time, he died on the cross, taking all our sins, Peter tells us, in his body on the tree. What a gift. We who deserve God's wrath are now called sons and daughters and welcomed into his family by grace. And if you are not yet part of that family, you can be part of that family today. Believe that you indeed are a sinner who would not make it on your own, but none of us here make it on our own. We only will be able to stand before God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you can trust him today. And everyone who trusts him he will never cast out. It says, to the thirsty, I say, come. If you hear the words of this good news today, and you're like, that's, that's what I want, then come. Come. He will never cast you out. And for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, this must be always our posture waiting for him, looking forward to that good day. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, as he's writing his last letter, 2 Timothy 4, says, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's a really interesting choice that Paul makes there. He could have said a whole lot of things. Who's going to get the crown of righteousness from the Lord, the judge who always judges rightly? He says, not just me. Everyone who has loved his appearing. If we have been born again, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We wait by faith. And as we're all too painfully aware, we must wait with patience. We're waiting for Jesus to come. We're waiting for a world made new where everything is right and nothing is wrong. And we must wait with patience because that day, as is so clear, has not yet arrived. We still live in this world. That even though Christ has come the first time, the whole world still struggles under the weight of the curse. Romans 8 reminds us that all creation groans as it it awaits what is to come. In this world, we do experience pain, sickness, sorrow, death, sin against us, and sin by us, sin outside us and inside us. 
unresolved tensions in relationships, injustice, hatred. Multiple times a week, or maybe multiple times a day, we find ourselves saying, why does this have to be so hard? You find yourself there? And sometimes it's in really simple things, right? And those are the things we end up having this just maybe confession time. These are the things that sometimes we end up having the biggest reactions to. Right? It's like, it should just work. But it doesn't. Sometimes we feel that way about our technology, right? It's like it's but it just does this. It's like, but but it's not. It's probably user error. But then sometimes it's not. Right? This isn't loading. You did it wrong. Oh, the whole system's down. Basically, half the world is down because Amazon is down. Oh, okay. I feel a little better. Yes, that happened this week. And there are so many things. It should just work. It shouldn't break. It shouldn't get old. It shouldn't fall apart. If I press this button, that thing should happen. And we can go one angle about how we're so coddled and everything's so easy and we expect to press buttons and have things to happen. But when we're thinking about the new heavens and the new earth where everything's going to be right, when you press the button, it should happen. And we experience that frustration, that futility when it doesn't. I mean, how many times at work have you said, I will, I'll do this thing, it'll be quick, it'll be like 15 minutes, no big deal. And after 15 minutes, you haven't even started on the actual thing you meant to work on because you had to go through all these hoops to get there. And there were so many things that weren't in the place they were supposed to be. Why does this have to be so hard? Why does there have to be so much wrong? Why does there have to be so much wrong done to me? And of course, I can't answer that particularly or specifically. Yes, theologically, it's true that it's all because of sin and the curse. Things break because we live in a world where things break. And that ultimately, yes, is because of sin. But it is right for us to pray with the saints of old. Lord, how long? And as we pray and we read, we hear the answer soon. Now, his soon might not be our soon. Kind of how my soon, like Christmas is soon. Right? But to the kids, it's, it's not quite yet. Right? It's like, soon's like in a couple hours. You're like, yeah, we're close to the like couple weeks. So to the kids, Christmas isn't soon. There's still a lot of life that has to happen between now and 13 days from now. And as adults, you're like, 13 days? It's like, there's no way I'm even going to be ready for this. And so his soon isn't our soon, but it's even more of a contrast than the difference between kids soon and adults soon. We read earlier from Second Peter and that chapter, 2 Peter 3, they're saying, you know, where's, where's the sign of his coming? Is he actually coming? He's not coming. And Peter quotes from early in the Bible and says, with the 
Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. So in one sense, soon might not fit our definition of soon at all. But in comparison with that eternal day, no matter how many days we wait, he is coming soon. And it's what we're praying for when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We're saying, come, life cannot stay this way. I cannot bear for life to stay this way. And the good news of the gospel is that life indeed cannot stay this way because Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. So when we feel the frustrations, rather than just crying out in general, I don't want broken things, let's remember that we ourselves are part of the brokenness, but Christ has come to make us whole. And let us remember that he is coming again and we will not experience this brokenness forever or even for long. In those last few chapters of Revelation, Satan is finally and totally defeated and judged by God for all eternity in the lake of fire. And I love the way it's hinted at in Isaiah 65. If you go back and read that, that's the kind of the Old Testament, new heavens and new earth passage. And in it, well, the best way to remember it actually is to go to Genesis 3 first. So we reference Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.14 is where the Lord begins to speak to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then we get to the familiar. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so, in, in part, that means snakes slither around on the ground. But there's another way that we can understand eating dust. That the serpent, as his head is crushed by the heel, is in the dust. And Isaiah 65 gives us a beautiful hint of this. In speaking of how everything will be perfect, listen to this description. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. And we go, that's not how that works now. This is part of what's coming. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. So instead of chasing zebras and gazelles and whatever, the lion won't kill or destroy anymore. Natural predators and prey will be friends in the new heavens and the new earth. And dust shall be the serpent's food. I love it. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Enemies will be made friends, and the one who has sought to destroy us will himself be destroyed. And he will eat dust forever. So many of the songs we sing reflect this hope. O holy night, in his name all oppression shall cease. 
It came upon a midnight clear, ends with, When the new heaven and earth shall own the Prince of Peace, their King, and the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. Or joy to the world, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Yes, that far. Do you feel the effects of the curse today? Do you feel how broken things are? And do you long for them to be made right? He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. All the way. Complete restoration. Now we don't yet see and feel and experience things this way, but it is coming. That day is coming because Christ is coming. And so we wait in faith for all God's promises to come true. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. On the cross, he said, it is finished, meaning he had paid the price. He had done what he came to do, that all our sins were covered. And here in Revelation 21, he says, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The King is coming. In his first coming, he dealt with our sin through his sacrifice on the cross. And in his second coming, he will rescue his people and judge his enemies. So this Christmas, let's remember that Christmas is not just a day to try to drown out the dreariness and difficulty of our lives. It's not a season to suppress our sorrows, suffering, and sadness and pretend that everything is all right. It's a reminder that the dreariness, the difficulty, the sorrows, the suffering, and the sadness cannot last forever because Christ has come and is coming again. And when he comes again, he will make all things new. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you have saved us by your grace and that you have saved us not just so that we can have a good life now, but that we can be with you and with all your people forever. As we face the darkness inside ourselves, as we face the brokenness of this sin-cursed world, Would you lift our eyes to that horizon? Would we be those who love your appearing? And as those who love your appearing, would we be eager for everyone we know to get in on this too? Would you help us as we face struggles, difficulties, and loss this week to fix our eyes on Jesus who came and suffered in our place so that one day we will know suffering no more. Thank you that you have told us what's coming so that we can wait for it with anticipation. We ask that you would help for us to wait in faith and wait with patience. We thank you for what we know and what we don't. 
But we thank you that whether it's something we know or don't, we know that it's going to be great because you're going to be there. We thank you. We love you. We trust you. And we wait for you. In Jesus' name, amen.